welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Joshua. I'm not dead. I'm here. I'm back. Um, just been pretty busy. Been busy making content, not just goofing off. I did have family in town, and so recording's been hampered a little bit, but uh, we're back. If you've been following Fusion FFB on Twitter, at Fusion FFB, or checking the website, FusionFFB.com, I keep it simple for you guys, Uh, you've seen updated uh, rankings. Before the draft, you would have seen my uh, landing spots that uh, the last podcast mentioned, and more things about that. So it, I've been doing in the work, and I've been in my own rookie drafts, my own league, so that's fun. Had a couple of those completed and in the middle of a few more. So I uh, hope you're all having fun because this is a fun time of year for Dynasty, and I uh, hope you're getting those, hope you're killing those drafts. Check the rankings out. They are on the site. I have... Uh, PPR, just one quarterback traditional, and I also have Superflex where I would bump up and insert the quarterbacks, basically. The rest is the same. Um, you got to always consider your league, your team, your scoring settings, um, so on and so forth. If, if you have a two tight end or a premium, you know, maybe you're going to like the tight ends better than my rankings. The rankings are just a starting point, so... You know, check them out. Gets you a good feeling uh, for where players are valued by others. And sometimes that'll help you out just uh, with ADP. I've got a lot held in right now. It's been building up, so I've got a lot to get out. And we're going to talk about a few different things. Oh my goodness, a few different things. Um, Yeah, I'm ready to go. Are you... Okay, here we go. Tyreek Hill cannot be replaced by a lookalike. All right. Do you understand that Tyreek Hill is an outlier of an outlier of an outlier? But that what I mean by that is it's all it's already rare that you have a quarterback his size that's been able to produce and and develop at the NFL level from just a fast, you know, punt returner uh, weapon, offensive, quote-unquote, offensive weapon, to a primary threat receiver who can literally score a touchdown on any given play. That's He didn't get there overnight, guys. I mean, I, I had him on his rookie year, he wasn't doing the same things he was doing last year, okay? He developed professionally, all right? Also, it's extremely rare for someone of his limited college uh, market share production, so on, to go on into the NFL and produce. It's rare for someone to be drafted as late as he was, and there was reasons for that, admittedly. But there's... It's rare for someone who had um, character issues like he did to become a success in the NFL too. So there were all of these things going against 
him, all of these odds against him ever being anything and doing anything. Um, and I'm going to pause right there and say, what a shame it is then that he's done with his life what he's done. And I've spoken on here before about waiting for the facts, um, but... I was kind of reading the tea leaves on Tyreek Hill, and so uh, I, I hope you, I hope you were too. If you had owned him, uh, I was able to get rid of him before the really bad stuff broke. Um, at the same time, he still hasn't been convicted. Uh, there's been is it is it reopened? Is it not? Technically, it's just always can be open. So it's it's whatever. It's semantics whether it's been closed or reopened. As of now. He's probably not being charged with anything, but has that ever stopped the NFL from suspending people before? Uh, no, it has not. So especially with their new rules, uh, especially with the new rules regarding players who have had past experiences um, with domestic abuse like he did, uh, if, if this had happened just six what six months earlier or something he would have still been on parole and i do think he would have been in legal issues then um i mean i'm not a lawyer or anything really but just just understand how big a fall it was right that tyreek hill like i said is the outlier of an outlier of an outlier um we have we don't see a player his size and speed who's who's able to still go up for the ball who has the instincts um when his his running back is running you know around to come back to the ball and and get open and make cuts and there, there's so much more that goes into Tyreek Hill being Tyreek Hill than he runs a 4-3 like there's so much more than his height and weight and speed. And the idea that because an NFL team decided to draft a player that looked like their other player, that he's going to become him. And I, I understand people are saying oh, he's not going to become him. He he might just be 80%. Guys, it's a razor's edge between Tyreek Hill being able to do what he's able to do and him being John Ross. Do you understand? It's a, it's a razor's edge. If he's just a little bit slower, he's not able to do what he's able to do. If his hands aren't quite as good, he's not able to do what he's able to do. If he doesn't have the, the instincts to go up for the ball quite as well as he is able to, then he's not able to do what he's able to do. Um, 80% of Tyreek Hill isn't going to get you 80% of Tyreek Hill's points. Okay, it's a curve. 80% of Tyreek Hill, and this was my prediction, is going to get you 20% of Tyreek Hill's points. So, McCole Hardman is who I'm talking about. The Chiefs drafted him in the second round. He may look like Tyreek Hill. He may have similar speed and size and weight as Tyreek Hill. He may have the same unimpressive college production and, and dominator rating and everything that Tyreek Hill had in college. He returns punts 
like Tyreek Hill did in college. Um, to go get a player who happens to look like Tyreek Hill and expect that he can be the same outlier player, it's basically like... Um, it would be like drafting a player to replace Danny Woodhead just because he was as small and had all the other details that looked like Danny Woodhead. The things that made Danny Woodhead special and different are so unique. He was an outlier. Maurice Jones drew a little bit of an outlier to, to chase a player purely based on how they look and because a few things line up. That's literally, that's the best comparison I can come up with is it's as if you try, it's as if you reach in the second round to drown, to draft Donnell Pumphrey just because he looks like Danny Woodhead. That's how much sense it makes to me when I, when I look at that, this, and I think about this and you can say all you want to do about the situation, but that's what I keep coming back to, and I can't, I can't shake it. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just dumb, but I just can't shake it that I feel like I am betraying uh, some part in my brain. It just doesn't add up. To to move this guy up into the first round. Look, he may be another outlier of an outlier because there's always an outliers and there's always someone else. Maybe it's him. I'm probably I'm going to die on this hill. Okay. But you to to move him up now just because of where he was drafted, where to the as in where in the team and where in the draft, second round. Um to move him up that far from being, I think the f- highest I saw him before the draft was uh, Jet Set Dynasty's rankings had him 15th. I'm going off memory here, but but I do specifically remember it when I was working on my rankings and I saw, oh, he's a lot higher on them. Uh, other people didn't even have him ranked. So good on them for seeing that he was something. And it's that kind of thing that does make me think he could he could be all right. He could be all right. I don't think he can be Tyreek Hill, you know, top a top six player. Um, but can he be top 24? Maybe. Why not? I mean, what Tyler Boyd was, right? To me, that's his that's his ceiling. That's his highest reasonable expectation. And so if you want to draft him in the first round based on that expectation, you know, I'm not going to stop you. I'm just saying me as someone who's put in the work, who's followed a process, for me to move him up that far based simply on location and draft capital would would just be a betrayal of my process. It would just be throwing it out. It would be rejecting everything that I know and I've read and I've studied about how rare it is for players like Tyreek Hill to be able to be successful. All right, this is why I'm down on Marquise Brown. This is why I was down on John Ross a couple years ago. All right? And look, Nicole Hardman may hit, 
but the odds are he won't. Do you understand that? The odds are he won't. If he does hit, he might hit big. So you just have to ask yourself, what's the risk reward you're willing to take? And for me and my process, it's more important to avoid the complete bombs, the complete failures. That's why I was out on John Ross. That's why I was out on Ronald Jones. Okay, because it's almost it's almost more important to identify who's not going to be successful than it is to identify the the jackpots. Okay. You want just solid return on investment. You know, you don't get rich by playing the lottery. You get rich by buying, you know, dividends, by investing. Okay. Somebody's going to win the jackpot, but it's probably not going to be you. But you can build a team with value and getting high probability players in high probability uh, locations, which, I mean, he is in a high probability location, sure. But that's why I can't move him up. So if you're wondering why he is wide receiver 11 at the end of the second round in my rankings, actually, I think there's a mistake there. He's supposed to be ahead of a couple of the the running backs there on my uh, version two ranks. Um, so it's showing him behind them and so he's coming out as like the 301 or something. That's a mistake. He's supposed to be behind the, I think it's like Miles Gaskin and another running back there. He's supposed to be right behind Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. And that's about where I think he belongs. And that's moving him up a lot already. It's not like I didn't move him up. So that's why he's there. That's why he's not moving any higher. I just can't do it because it would be just a portrayal of everything I know um, cognitively. And yeah, that's it. So I touched on this earlier saying that Hardman was drafted in the second round. Now we do know that there is correlation between how early a player is drafted to how likely they are to have um, success or have at least successful seasons in the NFL. That's understood. And um, I'm going to look into digging into that more. Uh, Yeah, I'll get into the details of that more later. But the point I want to make right now is just because a player is drafted high by a team doesn't mean he's going to be successful. We have to remember this, okay? Draft capital only gets you opportunity. It doesn't get you success. You still have to be good to have success. Running backs, this is why I emphasized and only really highlighted my landing spot value matrix for running backs. It doesn't change that. It shouldn't change that much for you for wide receivers and tight ends, and so on. Because running backs are more opportunity dependent. But wide receivers, and tight ends, I'm just going to say receivers. Okay, we'll lump them together. Because receivers are more ability driven. You're going to get a 
better chance to show up if you're drafted high, but you still have to be good. And then, of course, yes, the other factors of situation, quarterback, offense, all that stuff comes into play. Death chart, of course. Absolutely. But you cannot move a receiver way high or way low on a board just because of where they go and just because of what opportunity you perceive they're going to get. Okay? All you need is a certain level of opportunity, a prerequisite level of opportunity that gives them a fighting chance, okay? The good players will come through. That's the point. That's what these teams are looking for. You don't you, you think if there's a good player, they're not going to want to try and keep him? Yeah, we all have and all know of players that we thought were really good, they were on teams that for some reason the team cut or uh, they just never played them and we can't figure out why. We know it. It happens. But at some point we have to decide, okay, does that mean they actually weren't that good or does that mean that the coaching staff made a mistake? And we can say coaching staff made the mistake. I'm sure that happens many times. Um, There's other variables at play. We know Aaron Rodgers hated Jeff Janis, things like that. But for the most part, you just want them to have the opportunity. And if they're good they'll be good. So stop. Please stop moving receivers around based purely on perceived value of their landing spot and ignoring their skill. They have to still be good. I hope McCole Hardman is good and he has success. I wish everyone success, but we've all known, seen situations where a player was drafted high and it doesn't work out. Um, Yes, John Ross keeps coming to mind, but there's been other cases. Um, Like I said, I'm also down on Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, uh, because of his Liz Frank and his foot, which they keep saying is fine. All right. And because... uh, they say he's fine, but he hasn't had the second surgery as far as I've heard. And none, none of them ever seem to be fine until they have the second su- surgery. Um. Anyway, his size and so on. And then, yes, the team, Ravens. I'm not sure about that one. We'll see. I just don't think they have as high a probability of hitting as many other players that you can be drafting around those areas. That's why we rank them. Okay? So, yeah, I moved him up. He's there. Not going to talk about it more. But just remember, draft capital is going to give you the opportunity, but you, the player still has to be good and still has to succeed. So there does come a point where um, the the opportunity they're going to get force-fed just because they were high pick. You know, if you picture a graph, you know, and all the way on the left there, it's really high, and that's first round. And as the rounds count down, as we go to the right on the graph, the line swoops down to nothing. And those, you know, second round, third round, fourth round, all the way down to UDFA. And that's how much opportunity they're going to get based on where they're picked. Okay, it's a simple graph. But there's another graph, and it's how 
skilled as a player. And eventually those intersect. And you have to just take the player that's better and hope that they get the opportunity to shine and to show it and to earn more playtime. So that's why I'll be drafting uh, players such as J.J. Arcega-Whiteside before I draft Nicole Hardman. And I was just in a draft where someone traded up four picks so they could take McCole Hardman ahead of me. Uh, meanwhile, players like Debo Samuels, Jaw, Noah Fant, Damian Harris were still on the board with the 11th, uh, with the 12th pick is where he took it. And then I had the 13th and I took Debo Samuels because I looked at all of this already and I had made my ranks and I had Debo just a little bit, you know, above uh, J-Jaw. And so I took Debo. And I had an opportunity a little later to trade back in and get J-Jaw because he fell many more spots. And that was a case where I saw that the player is good. And I understand he's not going to get immediate opportunity, but, uh, I mean, do we really think Alshon Jeffrey's going to keep having healthy seasons? I don't know. All right. Speaking of, tight ends are good or they're not. I'm more and more of the opinion that that schemes don't make the tight ends. And I say this because I'm going to use a, a rather extreme example, but I've heard multiple people in multiple podcasts, I don't know if they're listening to each other or reading the same things. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's just a common uh, misconception that the Patriots love tight ends. I hear it being applied to Patricia in Detroit. I hear it being uh, talked about going into the draft about how they're going to draft. The Patriots have to try to draft a high, a, a tight end high, right? No, that's a misconception. And I tried I tried selling people before. I said, uh, I mean, I called that they were not going to draft one high. I thought they might draft one late in the the mid rounds fourth fifth sixth or grab uh a, a name that we like as a undrafted free agent they did they did take a couple udfas but they didn't draft any tight end in the draft which was a little bit surprising even to me but i did i did try to point out that guys all right backing up like i said the misconception that the patriots love tight ends the patriots don't love tight ends where in Bill Belichick's history do you see that he loves tight ends? The The first tight end that ever had more than like 70 targets or something was Ben Watson in the seasons before they drafted Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. And he had, those were solid season. And, all we, and as we saw, Ben Watson is a good tight end. He's a very good tight end tight end he continued to be a good tight end for another decade right but it's not because the patriots and bill belichick love tight ends and force feed and scheme something to use tight ends no they loved gronk and gronk was a tight end so they loved tight end but when you don't have gronk anymore you don't need to love tight end you love what? Good players. And that's exactly what they did. I predicted they weren't going for the early 
tight end, but I was saying they're going to go for an early receiver because they obviously had that need as well. So I'm not claiming to be a genius here. We all knew they were probably going to take wide receiver, but I just figured they were going to go that direction, and we saw them going with the uh, heavy run approach. I did not see them drafting Damian Harris, but uh, it makes sense. You know, he's kind of a Burkhead replacement. So, I mean, nothing here is all that surprising. But the point is, again, the tight end position more and more I'm as I as I play fantasy football and watch football, it just, if they're good, they're good. So look at all these players. Okay, TJ Hawkinson was my number one. Um, He's in a situation a lot of people think is bad now because the Lions have drafted more first-round tight ends than any other franchise in the league, Um, and it's not really always ended well. It's like Pettigrew and Ebron, and I think there's another one in there. And now Hawkinson. And that doesn't make sense because those were entirely different front offices and coaches. And the only thing that's the same would be Matthew Stafford. So you have to say that Matthew Stafford doesn't like tight ends. And I've seen that narrative about other quarterbacks as well. We say that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like tight ends. Um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has had a really good tight end. And you can say, yeah, but they got Jimmy Graham. Yeah, he's he's not a really good tight end anymore. It That's the solution. Not that Jimmy Graham was good, but Aaron Rodgers still didn't use him. No, he used Jermichael Finley. If they ever really went out and really invested and got a good tight end, which they may have drafted a really good one um, in Jay Sternberger, We'll see. But the point is, if the player is, and this goes for any position, but more so for receivers, if the player is good, they'll play. And we need to stop worrying so much about the the scheme and the, the landing position. You know, this idea that Bruce Arians doesn't like tight ends, so O.J. Howard's going to be bad. Look, O.J. Howard is good, Bruce Arians not isn't an idiot. I think O.J. Howard will be okay. Simple as that. Bill Belichick never never had tight ends used as much as he did until he drafted two really good tight ends, and then he decided, oh, we should use them because he's not an idiot. You use good players when you have them. Um, Belichick had never had a wide receiver put up huge numbers and be a focal point of the offense um, until they got Randy Moss. And and then they used him, <laughs> right? Because good players get used by smart coaches. So yeah, if you have a really dumb coach, there's a chance that they're not going to use a good player. We've maybe seen examples of that. It's hard to say because we're not in, in we don't, we're on the outside looking in. So we don't know the details. We don't know the particulars. There's many cases where we can kind of guess that the coaches were being dumb. You know, we've seen cases like, all right, famous one. You have Jeff Fisher Gurley and you have McVay Gurley. And McVay Gurley was much better. So coaches do more to hold back players sometimes. But 
for the most part, a good player demands opportunity and they produce. Simple as that. So when it comes to tight end, um, don't get too hung up by where they are and so on. And also don't get too enamored with scheme and position. Um, I'm going to be looking a little bit more into it, but I can't, I couldn't think of any specific examples where a bad tight end was getting force fed uh, work just because the scheme demanded it. Uh, I can think of some cases where depth, you know, because of injury kind of demanded it, but I can't think of many situations where there were other good uh, players, receivers, and running backs who were not getting work because somehow the coach was feeding the tight end. Um, no, usually the tight end demands the work because he's so good. So it, that's it. I wouldn't chase the situations when it comes to tight ends. Chase situations for running backs. This kind of goes into something I posted uh, the other day, and it was like dummies guide for a rookie redraft. Uh, and it was a like a dummies template, right? So when in doubt, you could follow this template any given year, every year for any draft, uh, regular settings for a dynasty league, right? And uh, if you followed this, you would just consistently build value. So the idea is uh, through the first, I don't know, eight picks or so, you're going to prioritize running backs, okay? Because they're going to have immediate value, you're going to be able to turn them around, and so on. So that's where the high chance, high probability of success picks are, are running backs to good situations that you know they're going to get work, they're, you know they're going to become valuable, okay? Now, from the ninth pick on, until let's say the 24th. So pretty much the end of the first on all the way through the second round. That's the sweet spot to be taking your wide receivers because there's still a lot of wide receivers that were drafted fairly high in the actual draft. So you know they have some draft capital. We have talked about how that is. That does correlate to actual success, but um, you're not going to overpay for them because they're not going to have immediate value for the most part. You know, these rookie wide receivers don't generally hit year one. And so if you're burning first-round picks, early first-round picks on wide receivers, they've got to be something special. Um, or you or you have to be in a position where you can sit back and let them develop. But if you are trying to build a team and win now and you don't already have a, a really good team that this player can just sit behind then if you want to build value, you need to get the player that's going to create value, and that's why it's the running back earlier. But this second round is the perfect place to get wide receivers and the perfect place to uh, not overpay for them, basically. And then in the third round, you can pretty much do whatever, but I have noticed that's kind of the sweet spot for tight ends. Um that's where, you know, you could have gotten Mark Andrews last year. Uh, that's where, uh, geez, even there later with Kittle was falling. 
the year before. That's where you can get a lot of these players. Um, if if you're spending a first, or especially an early to mid first round pick on a tight end, I have a really hard time doing that, and I don't think I could ever pull the trigger. You know, uh, early first would be the earliest I could, and uh, this late second, and like I said, into the third. So from the 36 to 48. That's where, or for, sorry, from 24 to 36 is where you want to take tight ends at value. Um, but pretty pretty much any players. And then for the rest of the end of the draft, here's an interesting thing I was looking into. For the rest of the end of the draft, um, the probabilities of a late round, uh, again, NFL late round wide receivers having a good season by which we're going to qualify that as 800-yard season. Uh, the odds of that are pretty low as you get into the later rounds. Um, but for running backs, I mean, they're obviously also very low, but not quite as low. Um, and the definition for the running back in this, and this work was done by Russell Clay at Russell J. Clay on Twitter. Um, he put out a whole thread of these, and he has these charts showing the, uh, the round that the player was taken and the number of seasons that they broke that threshold. So for wide receivers, like I said, it was 800 receiving yards. So since the year 2000, First round picks have a 57% chance or have, it's not a chance technically, have at 57% of them have had one season of at least one season of 800 yards or more. And then as the the rows go down, it's the number of seasons. And so only 4% you know, of even first rounders have 10 or more years of such seasons because that's so rare. But even for just one season, in the second round, it goes down to 40% of them. Third round, it's 28% of them. Then it drops all the way down to 12% of them in the fourth round, 10% in the fifth, 3% in the sixth, and up to 6% in the seventh. So maybe uh, you bet just just skip sixth round running uh, wide receivers and go right to the seventh rounders. That's that's uh, no, not really. But um, we do see here then that was just for one season. Um, the drop off really happens after the third round. You have a decent chance of a couple seasons of good production from anyone in the top three rounds. After that, they start dropping off. Okay. Now then you look at the running backs. And for this, the threshold was a 1,000-yard season. And this is just uh, total yards from scrimmage, so receiving included. And this is is my point about early first round in your drafts, you take running backs. Because first round running backs um, having one season of a 1,000-yard from scrimmage season, 80% of them break that threshold 80 percent guys that is as as high a chance rate of anything as anything in nfl and as in fantasy football as as there is so that's why you take them because you have an 80 percent 
chance. And I am, I know these are 80% of historically from since 2000. So I am, you know, turning that into a chance going forward. Um, but yeah, 80%, that's really high. Second round, 52%. Third round, 40%. And here's why I'm saying at the end of your draft, you should just be taking running backs in the best possible positions with the easiest uh, paths to opportunity. Because um, when you get into the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, the percent of running backs that to break that threshold are actually um, several, at least three percentage points higher. Um, and so the idea is you have a better chance of one of those late round running backs um, getting some opportunity and flashing than you do early, at least early, than you do with the wide receiver. And that's that's really, that's the point. That's all. If you're drafting late, you might as well take somebody who can flash and get you some value. So draft a running back. Um, if there's some wide receiver you really love and you think is going to be really good, all right, fine, take him. It's late, you're on pick, do what you want. But um, for the most part, I'm taking as many of these kind of uh, backups and, and satellites as I can who are going to have opportunity to do something. Um, whereas a a lot of these wide receivers don't have any opportunity to do anything uh, when they're drafted late and they're buried in the depth chart. And even when injury happens, they're just not good enough yet. They haven't been trained up. They're wide receivers. It's much more of a skill position Whereas running backs are, it's more based on opportunity. It's a skill position too, I know. Don't kill me. Just the point is, if you're gonna just throw a bunch of picks late at some players, I suggest you throw them at running backs. Um, keep an eye on your receivers through training camps and so on. And if they start to show up, you know, that's what the waiver wire is for. That's why hopefully you have fab and you can you can go get them then. I'd rather take the running back, and then if uh, the running back ahead of him gets injured in training cap, I have his backup already. I'd rather have those already on my bench, um, whereas, again, with wide receivers, it's not that clear. They have to work for it and earn it more. All right, enough of me rambling. I think I got that on my system. Thanks, guys very therapeutic for me these sessions um <laughs> i'm gonna be doing a couple more podcasts uh soon where i am gonna look at the rankings kind of go by position and explain why i have them where i have them in a little more detail just quickly and then uh where i have them when they're all mixed together so i will do that it's a little bit of a cliche episode but i do want to explain it a little bit better so that'll hopefully help you in your process when uh, that that way you actually understand what's behind the rankings. And I'm not asking you to just flat blindly follow a list, but you can now better apply uh, the information to your own leagues specifically. Like I was saying before, it's a starting point. But uh, if if you have a specific need on your in your team, if uh, your team gives more points for for uh, 
receiving for running backs than most leagues, then you'll want to know that a, a player is more of a receiving back and, and details like that. That's what I'm talking about. So we'll get into that. I also want to go and something I, I thought I was going to do for this episode, but I just I had too many little mini rants. So probably for the next one also, I'm going to be doing kind of a wellness check on uh, instead of looking at, and you know, everyone's all caught up about the rookies and the draft, but after the draft, I think we should check on some players around the league and uh, and see how they're doing after uh, their team maybe drafted some players or maybe didn't draft players. So maybe they're very happy or maybe they are not happy. We'll see. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do here. Hope you keep an eye out for those episodes and uh, join me then. Again, follow me on Twitter at FusionFFB. Check the website for the rankings. Um, you They show up there on the website page, FusionFFB.com, and then just click on Player Rankings and Rookie Draft Rankings. But uh, there's another link right there that goes directly to a nicer-looking uh, Google Sheets kind of thing that is uh, you can see it a little bit better than just the black and white table that comes on the site. Uh, that's It's nice that my, my site's able to import that data from the Google Sheet directly into the page, but it's a little plain. So if uh, you want a better looking one, just follow the link right there. And I'll continue to update those as, as necessary. I mean, like I said, there's probably a correction I could make right now, but it's not quite big enough deal for to make an entire update. Uh, the Isaiah Crowell injury was kind of enough of a big deal for me to move Josh Jacobs up, and so that was a big enough change, uh, along with a few other things, for me to release version 2. So we'll see if uh, anything else pops up that uh, is worthy of a whole update. I don't want to just throw new ones out every week, necessarily, but uh, things do change. New information comes out, and uh, maybe I'll learn new things that I just didn't know before. I try to listen to a lot of smart people. Uh, they convinced me that maybe David Montgomery's going to have more opportunity in Chicago than even I thought. So that's one of those cases where I moved him up a couple spots. But we'll go into all of that in more detail next time. Thanks for joining, everybody. See you next time.